0: (laughs) Oh, man, we really want to celebrate the death of Christ, and we want to do it truly. We want to celebrate it in the right way. What an odd thing that we are celebrating the torture and the murder of God himself. Incredible, And yet it is such a good day. And it's a day that God planned because we need it. And so I am just so thankful for this. When we think about Jesus' words on the cross and you think about the, the gospel writers and how they describe the moment, the specific moment of Jesus' death. In Matthew, he says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Mark says that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Luke says that Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The Apostle John, who was there watching that happen, wrote many years later, and he wrote his gospel, and he filled in some of the details that the other gospel writers didn't include. And this is something that, G- that John emphasized. When John describes the last moments of Jesus' life, that last moment, he says this in John 19.30, and when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. What powerful words. It is finished. Jesus made the once for all sacrifice for our sins. There is nothing left for you and I to do to try to make up for our sins. Jesus took care of it on the cross. You know, John the Baptist, um, he said it this way when he looked at Jesus. He said, um, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When the Apostle Peter was talking about Jesus' death, he said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You know, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper tonight, but as we celebrate that, it is a most significant time. And one of the primary things that we think about as we celebrate the Lord's Supper is that Jesus... Died for our sins. He took care of the sacrifice, the debt that you and I owed, and He did it completely. You know, this is so significant. Um, I think that some people don't realize that every single Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. How many of you knew that? Of course, many of you knew that. But every Sunday, you know, the, the Jews met on the Sabbath, Christians meet on Sunday. And it's because Jesus rose on Sunday. And so we'll be celebrating the resurrection this coming Sunday, but every time we take the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating and considering and thinking about the death of Christ. Now this is how, so, how important that was, is that Jesus gathers his disciples together and he actually initiates the celebration of his death before he dies. And so he gets them together and he talks about the fact that he's going to go to the cross and he actually models for them celebrating the Last Supper and and the amazing thing, celebrating his death, the amazing thing is that for them, they didn't fully understand it when he did it. But days later, they were going to see him die. They were going to see him rise from the dead and forever they would remember the foundation that he laid. That's how significant this is. And I would just ask you, why did Jesus die on the cross? When you look at the Gospels and you look at what Jesus did, there is a description of the physical realities of what Jesus went through. But the emphasis is on what he accomplished spiritually. But Why would Jesus go through that? Why would he utter those words, come to the place where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would Jesus do that? And I want you to know that the Bible does tell us It tells us in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John said it this way in 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, that's the sacrifice, the the satisfaction for our sins. And Romans chapter 5, verse 6, emphasizes that we're not the ones that reached out to God. God reached out to us. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would star- scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might, would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Isn't that incredibly powerful? Romans 8 goes on to say that if God loves you so much that he would give Jesus for you, there's nothing that he would withhold from you. That's how much God loves us. And as we think about this, as we consider the death of Christ and what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, for you to realize that that's personal. God had you in mind when he sent Jesus to the cross. That is amazing. So we're gonna consider three important things with the Lord's Supper. Uh, The Lord's Supper is a tremendous celebration that that we engage in as believers, Um, but we wanna consider three important things. The first is that we need to celebrate the Lord's Supper in genuine faith. The second thing is that we celebrate the Lord's Supper by remembering an event that took place. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate it with a reverent self-evaluation. We're going to be going through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 uh, through 34. Now, the reason that I chose this passage is that this is the section of Scripture that we read most often when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I think that it would be good for us to consider What is it that God is teaching in this passage that is so important for us as believers as we celebrate Good Friday, as we think about what Jesus did on the cross for us? You know, the problem with regular celebrations is that at times they breed familiarity, and they can lose their meaning and their significance. Um, Have you ever struggled with that when you're praying for your food? You sit down, and and I, I remember at some point I realized every single time I prayed for my food, I said the exact same thing. I could say it without thinking about it. And people in my family members, they just say the same thing. And that is sometimes what can happen as we come to the Lord's Supper. Now I was thinking about it, and I I wasn't keeping track my whole life, but I just thought about, about how often do I celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I think in my lifetime, I probably celebrated the Lord's Supper around 500 times. And it is so easy to show up and to celebrate the Lord's Supper without actually thinking about it. In fact, I was thinking there are so many things in our worship of God can be that way. Sometimes people come to church, and even in singing and in worship, people can come to church, and they can actually have in their mind that worship is about them. And they could show up and go, well, what's the list of songs that I want to sing? And do I like this? And, and, and what, what is my preference? Instead of realizing that when we show up on Sunday morning and when we sing, it's actually not about us. It's about God. We, we come not to get We come to give, and yes, we serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we show up on Sunday morning to worship God. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's important for us to remember that sometimes we can be so ritualistic with things that we actually start to put our faith and our trust in rituals instead of in what we're supposed to be thinking about and so that's what we're going to consider. Now, as the Apostle Paul uh, talked about this, I, I can't help but think about what, what's happened in Israel with the tomb of Jesus. And, and I think about this, just, uh, this is the time that we celebrate the death of Jesus. But uh, this is a tomb that is in um, Israel. And this is probably, uh, it could possibly be like Herod's tomb. But this is similar to what the tomb of Jesus would have looked like but if you were to go there today and you were to look at the location most likely where the tomb of jesus is this is what you would find you would find this building um, that's a shrine placed over the, the the burial place of jesus i love the fact that um what happened in jesus what in jesus's life what happened in the bible it's historically real you can go you can go to places you can see these things But sometimes people have taken those things and they've made idols out of them. This is what the entrance of that building looks like. There's so much superstition, so much tradition. There there are candles, there are statues, there's incense. There's all kinds of things that, that are going on that actually distract and become objects of people's faith. This is supposedly the actual location of Jesus's burial. Like theoretically, the reality is this, this area was destroyed and rebuilt so many times that even though this may be the general location, there's probably nothing left there from the time that Jesus was actually buried. But when you find tombs in this area, th- this is what those tombs look like. They don't have all those things and Jesus was, was buried in a rock probably similar to this. A shelf. He was just laid on a plain rock without all these candles, without all these things that people can begin to trust and to focus on. And sometimes that people actually forget the reality of what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. You know, that happened for the Corinthians. And I'm reading this section not because that has happened at Foothills Church, this would not describe us. But for the Corinthians, any time you lose sight of what you're really celebrating in the Lord's Supper, you miss everything. And here's what was going on in the Corinthian church, and this is when Paul brings up the Lord's Supper. So he just says this in 1 Corinthians 11:17. 7, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I content, con, commend you in this? I will not. So what is happening here? Um, the, the Corinthians are not celebrating in genuine faith. They've actually forgotten the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Imagine this, that in the Lord's Supper, people are coming together and they used to celebrate the Lord's Supper around a meal, but for them, the habit of doing that actually replaced the genuine celebration of the Lord's Supper and they focused on eating and rich people would eat and poor people would show up with nothing and there was no love, there was no consideration from one another as they're celebrating the the death of Jesus. Jesus. You know, there are people today that their symbolism has completely overcome what they celebrate in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is actually nothing unless it is celebrated in genuine faith. That's what the Apostle Paul says. That division is a reflection of a lack of genuine faith. And, and verse 20 is a key where he says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So for us to remember that it's not the eating of the bread, it is not the drinking of the cup, it is not the showing up to a building that is celebrating the Lord's Supper. It is the genuine faith that goes along with those things. And so we need to celebrate in genuine faith. The second thing that we remember from this passage and that we learn is that we celebrate the death of Christ by remembering. We remember. Um, Jesus says this in, or Paul, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, Jesus takes those elements and he says, these represent my body. If I um, pulled out a, my cell phone and I flipped over to a picture of my family and I said, this is my family, nobody would say, oh, my goodness, how, how'd they get into your phone? That's so weird. When Jesus held up the bread, he wasn't saying, this is my body in the sense that it would become his body. Obviously, he's standing there in front of them, and he says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember the work of Jesus. Now, one of the things that I think is so significant in the priority of this is think about this. Jesus himself gave this information and described this to the Apostle Paul. Um, If you... If you're familiar with the scriptural story, the apostle Paul was not a believer when, on this night. He was not there. So Jesus, one of the things that Paul says is that when he received his gospel, he actually received it directly from Jesus. And so Jesus gave Paul the gospel. But not only that, this is so important that Jesus described the Last Supper to the apostle Paul personally. Man, this is important. It is significant. And it's a historical event. You know, you would think from Paul's description that he just read the Gospels, right? Because his description is exactly what the the people who were there described. When we think about this, um, this was planned by God. This is something that Jesus did voluntarily. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed... Do you remember when Jesus, that evening, he told Judas, he told the disciples, somebody here is going to betray me. And then he told Judas, go. You know, this is not something that happened to Jesus. Jesus died on purpose. He came. He willingly gave his life. And just to prove that, um, John, the the gospel writer, um, John, as he describes the Garden of Gethsemane, when they show up with all the soldiers and they say, Um, Jesus says, whom do you seek? And they say, oh, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And the moment he says that, everybody falls down on the ground. Remember when Peter pulls out the sword and chops off the ear? Um, That's kind of an easy thing to do when they've come to get the man and he says, I'm he, and they all fall on the ground. It kind of makes you feel pretty powerful. And Jesus puts that ear back on and he tells Peter, put your sword away. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross for you. That's what the Apostle Paul says. It says, this is my body, which is for you. It's personal. Jesus voluntarily laid down his life. You know, for many people, there's confusion about the Lord's Supper. For some, the focus actually becomes the elements themselves. There are people who believe that in in, in the ceremony of taking the Lord's Supper, that the bread and the cup actually turn into the body and the blood of Jesus. That is not what happens. There are people who actually trust A service, they they trust the celebration of the Lord's Supper. That is the re-sacrifice of Jesus. He is He is being sacrificed again. And as I eat that, I'm eating the actual body and blood of Jesus. And they trust the elements for their forgiveness. That is not what Jesus intended. We remember his death on the cross that paid the price for our sin. And we don't focus on the elements. Those elements help us remember, but it's not about the elements, it's about what Jesus did. You know, for believers, we think about it, we remember, and uh, it is something that is comforting for us as we consider the fact that Jesus paid the price for our sin, it's something that is inspirational and motivational, motivates us to live a faithful, godly life. The third thing that we're going to see here is that when we celebrate, we celebrate with reverence and self-examination. Self-exam- Let's read uh, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11:27. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. One of the things that we see here is that when we consider who Jesus is and that he died for us and that he paid the price for our sin, and we remember that worship and celebrating the Lord's Supper is about Jesus, for those Corinthians There may have been some in their midst that didn't know the Lord, but there were believers that got caught up in celebrating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. And Paul just says, because you disregard God, because you have a lack of reverence for God, some of you are disciplined in that you are sick. Some of you are disciplined in that the Lord has taken your life. to to act with a lack of reverence for God, which is expressed in unity. It's expressed in our love for one another. It's expressed in our personal commitment to honor the Lord in our life. This is a serious time when we remember the death of Christ. Now, one of the things that Paul makes clear here is that this is not something that a person would lose their salvation over. This is something where God disciplines people whom he loves but this is something for us to take seriously, that Jesus died for our sins, and we live for him. So we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Celebrating the Lord's Supper in a worthy way means two things. It means that we are trusting Jesus himself and the death on, his death on the cross for our forgiveness. Celebrating the Lord's Supper in a worthy way means we're not trusting bread and grape juice. It's that we think rightly about the death of Christ. The second thing is that celebrating the Lord's Supper rightly means that we are submissive and repentant when it comes to sin. Um, It's not that we're without sin. That's actually what Jesus died for, was to take care of our sin. But it's that we come to the Lord with humble repentance and thankfulness, that he has paid the price for our sin. If you have your, your cups... On the top, there's something that you can peel away and get to the bread. Jesus died and paid for our sin. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.23. Let me read this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he, when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. Lord, thank you for your amazing love. Lord, thank you that you have taken care of our sin. There is nothing left for us to do. Lord, we don't walk around with a cloud over our head. We are not overcome or discouraged by the ways that we fail. Lord, as we see those flaws, we, we confess our sin. We ask for forgiveness. Lord, we know that you have forgiven us for everything that we have done or will do. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to work for your acceptance, but that you are the one who died to bring us to God. And Lord, I ask that you would fill us with strength and with a submission and a desire to honor you in our life. Lord, as we think through how much you love us, pray that you would help us to love you with all of our strength and with all of our might and with all of our mind. And Lord, that we would not only love you, but that we would express that love to those around us as well. We ask that you would strengthen us in your name. Amen.